Hello, and welcome to the Mad Kempter Podcast. On this podcast, I will be joined by my fraternity brother and NBA enthusiast, Noah Salinger. On this episode of the podcast, we will take a deep dive into what has happened so far in the NBA playoffs, the coaching hires across the league, and some of the teams who are primed to make an offseason addition. Now to the podcast with my guest, Noah Salinger. So uh, the other day, the uh, Clippers and the Sun Series finished, and when we were recording this, it finished last night. So uh, I wanted to get Noah's opinions on the uh, series and what he thought about that. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was a pretty, you know, well-fought series. Uh, the Suns got out to the 2-0 start, but obviously, you know, the Clippers had come back from 2-0 in the, in the previous two rounds. So it wasn't like they, were, uh, they weren't used to that. And then, you know, they ended up winning game three and it looked like they could, you know, maybe take the series. Um, but I was just so impressed with the Suns, you know, dealing with the fact that Chris Paul wasn't able to play in the beginning and just their depth and their coaching and everything like that. Um, I think that a lot of people started to realize that they were, they were truly the best team in the West and maybe in the NBA. Um, I think they very much deserve to be representing the West in the finals. Yeah, I I do agree with that. Um, I was really surprised with how good the Suns looked without Chris Paul because Chris Paul's not only a great veteran point guard, but he's the heart and soul of that team. Like, if you ask any of those guys, like DeAndre Ayton says, like, he revived his career, and he's helped Devin Booker get to, like, these crunch time plays. Like, he puts them in the right spots, get, puts the ball in the right spot for him. I, I was really surprised with how good they looked without Chris Paul. I thought they would at least drop one or two of those games just in the first two games just because of uh, Paul George. I thought he was going to take over one of those games and win one of them. Yeah, I mean, no Kawhi was also tough for the Clippers. So, yeah, probably just because this, I mean, the Clippers do have a lot of depth too. So, it, that for that reason, I was actually very excited when the fact that it was even in the sense that two stars were out, one from each team, I was excited to like you get to see other people step up. And that's what happened with like Reggie Jackson played really well. Um, the Suns just kind of were like, you know, they were they were a pretty like well-rounded group the whole year, so we expect that from them. But just like guys like Reggie Jackson, Marcus Morris stepping up for the Clippers, it's fun to see. Um, but Paul George, like, I I know he had the big forty-point game. I think that was what game? Five, yeah, that was game five to make it three-two. Yeah, um, he brought it back to three-two. Correct, but. Yeah, for the most part, especially in the elimination game, uh, game six, I was like not not ha- not impressed with how he played. Um, I mean, he's he's the guy that they traded all those first round picks for, and you know he's the one making all the money. I think that you know he's the one who's got to they got to like live and die with Paul George, and he's got to be the one taking over the game. And if he makes the shots, great. And if he misses them, then you know you go down with you know your best player. But he was just being too passive, in my opinion. I do agree Paul George is a bit passive, but that comes with playing with Kawhi Leonard for the entire season and then him being ripped away from him the last four or five games this season. So that's – I feel like that was more – had to do with it than anything else, just he wasn't used to taking those shots. But then again, you're right, they are paying him to take the big shots. But I think that Paul George did almost as much as he could that series without Kawhi Leonard. Like – the Clippers roster is deep, but I'm not a, a huge fan of the roster to begin with. I think they lack a lot of perimeter shooting. They have some good vets, but like, what do you see last night? Like Pat Bev, two-hand shove, Chris Paul. Like, they still have some guys like that who just aren't aren't heady players. And I think Paul George really took that team as as far as it goes. I don't think I think it would it would have needed another Paul George miracle game like 40-plus, 45-plus, and almost close to a triple-double like he did the game before to get that win. And Paul George, is some nights, is going to step up as your one. But realistically, when you sign Kawhi Leonard, you're paying him to be your 1A, your, your 1B when Kawhi is your 1A. So he's going to, when you're doing that, you know he's going to be have his games where he's not going to be as good. He's a little bit more of a streaky star. But yeah. that being said, I do think he, I think he was really good this playoffs for them. He did. He did get a lot of respect from a lot of people. I know that. And I think that Ty Lue, who already obviously has won an NBA championship and like dealt with coaching LeBron. um, I think he also earned a lot more respect for, you know, dealing with going down 2-0 and all those series and, you know, playing without Kawhi. 
And you're right. Now, the more I think about it, it's it, the Clippers roster isn't isn't much. It's like a very much a mishmash of players. And you're right. A lot of credit goes to Paul George and Ty Lue for kind of holding them together. Because I was thinking about it almost before the for game six. I'm like Reggie Jackson. He's a good player, a fine player, but he's, but he's not. taking every big big shot for them. But it, they don't have only, any other guards. Only, right. He can only be the best. You know, the, the second, third best player on the court for for so much time. Eventually, guys like Booker. Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, even take even, over. even Mikhail Bridges is, you know, as good or better of an NBA player as Reggie Jackson. So, yeah, it, it's a lot to ask on, on guys like that. And also in the series, like, they were messing around with so many different rotations. You couldn't – like, some games Rondo's playing, some games he's not. Some games it's him and Crunch Boogie. time, but Pat, Pat, like, Pat Bev is playing a lot. It, it's just so up and down with where, the, where they're at, with, like, who's going to play when – and Boogie's playing well some games, playing terrible some games. It was just not the like the type of roster that a championship team is made out of. It's just it has a lot of inconsistent guys and forces Tyloo to pretty much be perfect in pressing all the buttons on you know who should be getting the most. Yeah, and when time. he's when he's not perfect, it gets exposed. Exactly. Yeah. And for a guy like PG, who also is somewhat of a streakier star, like he needs he needs some consistency around him. Yeah, and it can't just be Reggie Jackson and DeMarcus Cousins and, like, Marcus yeah. Morris because, like, I don't know. Those, yeah, you're those... not winning a championship with Reggie Jackson taking crunch time big threes, like big crunch time threes. Yeah. But uh, I do – but I ended up closing that out. I was – I thought that was going to probably go seven. I thought Paul Jordan was going to push that to seven. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not surprised that they they. One game five and made it a little bit closer, but I just think like at the end of the day, especially like once you saw Chris Paul going on like seven zero runs by himself, you just realize that he's by far the best player out there. Probably, you know, most experienced. Yesterday, I was talking with a couple of my friends and we were trying to figure out if Chris Paul had the most games played in Staples Center on either team, and the only other person that probably has played more games in Staples Center on the Clippers is Pat Bev, and I think it's pretty close. Yeah, you're right, probably. I mean, he was well, on the Clippers for, for forever, yeah. Yeah, so we were trying to figure out, is he the most – if he's the most experienced player in Staples Center, there's no way he's losing that game. Yeah, no, he looked very comfortable all game, yeah. I would say. The entire game, he looked very comfortable, and he hasn't. For moments in these playoffs, I, mm-hmm. I watch the Suns, and I'm like, oh, Chris Paul is their best player, right? He's solid throughout, you know, that's Chris Paul. He's, you know, what, you know always solid. And then you're like, huh, he actually does show cracks, but then like campaign will come in and go on like a, you know, and like play 10, 15 great minutes and bridges and Tory Craig. And so you're like, all right, they can kind of make up for it. But in that game six, Chris Paul was like the Chris Paul of old completely. I thought. Yeah. I think a lot of the inconsistency from Paul in the beginning came from him missing a couple games due to COVID and practices. I think it really took him out of rhythm. And for a guy like Paul, who's so dependent on his rhythm, because he's not very small, he's he's not very big, he's not very that quick anymore. So he really depends on his rhythm. Once you take him out of that, like his jumper's off, he can't distribute at the same level. He just needed like a couple of days to get back into the flow of it, I think. And last yeah, night, and he's so he's so um, experienced in that arena and has taken so many shots. It was like another home game for him. Like that's probably the arena he's played his most, maybe his most like home games in his career in. Mm, no, that that is a very interesting, um, like tidbit, uh, like you know, like little fact to to bring up. Um, you know, just like it's not probably not something that anyone like really thinks about, but that that has to that has to play some form of a role. Just being comfortable in the arena, yeah, yeah. And I think last night, I mean, you could tell in the beginning he hit those two buzzer beater threes right away. Everyone's like, all right, it's it's Chris Paul night. Yeah, he's like, in his bag. Yeah, yeah and- right away. And not only does he feel comfortable in that arena, but he realizes that like a lot of these guys have not been in this situation before, you know, yeah. on, on the Clippers, you know, they're all, they're, they're all on both teams. They're all pretty new there. Ty Lue's, you know, brand new coach. Like it's, you know, so he, he was, he was able to exploit that. And he was having fun out there, you know, like, like when some of the flagrants were being called or they were reviewing things that maybe weren't, you know, as egregious as like, he made him seem to be when he would like flop or whatever. He was like having fun. He's like, get him, get him out, get him out, you know? And just like, and he was getting under Beverly's skin. He completely, he, they knew what they were doing. They, they were kept poking the bear and eventually he went a little crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't that believe got, he pushed him in the back two hand shoved. I know that that's, that's very bad, but 
that guy goes through Patrick Beverly goes through a lot in like a playoff series, especially when he's up against yeah. Chris, guards like Chris Paul and Booker. So I understand where it's like, it finally comes to the surface and you just like boom on it. Like just, I don't know. Beverly was like finally changing the narrative on him too. Cause he had a really good series. So like yeah. this was really helping him. And then finally, this is how he ends it. Right. Even, back even right, offensively. Right he started. Well. I, I really don't. I still think he's uh, I actually respect him a lot as a player. No, I, I do. I think he hustles. He he grinds. I just think he he loses his head a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. The next thing we're going to talk about is the Hawks and Bucks series. And right now, when we're recording this, it is not over. So, what's the score of the series? It's two-two uh, right now, right? Yeah, the Hawks just tied it up, and it's going yeah. back to to Milwaukee for Game Five. Yeah, this reminds me a lot of the Philly series. With the Hawks and the Sixers. Yeah, I mean the Hawks both, sneak in game one. Right. With the with a crazy trade performance. Right. Then the better team wins game two and game three. Mm-hmm. And then the Hawks come back and they get hot again for game four and they sneak out another game in Atlanta and they're going back into the home team's place with two two. And now and with now with Giannis being hurt, this series is again wide open and last series the same thing happened too yeah and especially considering like the bucks won one of these games by like 40 points you really thought yeah they could have just you know put the series away in five or whatever um and the hawks are another team i liken them to the suns or the heat of last year where it's mm-hmm. yes, they, yes they have one star you know who can who can give you 30 40 points and take over a game any night but i'm so i'm more impressed with with their depth i feel like they go like eight nine ten guys deep and it's not just you know it's not just solid role players it's guys that have experienced minutes in in big time moments and and you know guys like Gallinari, you can and lou williams who have have hit big shots in big moments before and 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 that's huge and that's huge to have in the playoffs did you see their depth you see their depth when they uh, plugged in like a guy like Cam Reddish who hasn't really played all playoffs, and he gives them twelve great minutes. Great and you're minutes. Li- and you're like, wow! Like imagine if they had this. Imagine if they had him for the whole playoffs, and then keep you know keep in mind the fact that they lost DeAndre Hunter earlier in the mm-hmm. playoffs, and he's probably their best wing defender. Oh, he's definitely their best wing defender. They miss him a lot on the wing. And now this guy Reddish comes back in and he's like another, you know, he's a great shooter, uh, you know, good wing, solid wing defender, not as good as Hunter can, can probably give you a little bit more on offense. And it's like, imagine if they had both these like young guns out there. Be dangerous. I, especially I really like especially with Giannis Hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's someone who, as I think Reddish is too, where it's like, it doesn't even matter, you know, the fact that they're so inexperienced, it's just like their strengths translate to you know winning and playoffs and playoff success so especially now if they had hunter you could see them with middleton that is a lot it's a lot better a matchup than what they're throwing at middleton now right middleton was scoring at ease Uh i think it was what game two or game three he had like 38 when he went off in the fourth quarter yeah yeah like 20 points in the fourth quarter they could have really used deandre hunter's wing defense there yeah but now, like you said, with Giannis hurt, I mean, you have and to Trey, Trey too, yeah. with his bone bruise. I mean, that's crazy that without Trey Young, that the Hawks didn't just go, or that the Bucks didn't just go up by like thirty or twenty, you know, in the first half and and try and put them away even before the Giannis injury. But I mean, I feel like this series is wide open now without Trey Young and Giannis, because Giannis is announced out for this game. Mm-hmm. So the, the spread's like minus three. And it's pretty much Middleton and Holiday versus the Hawks, which I think the Bucks are still a much better team with Middleton and Holiday. I personally would probably pick the Hawks as the favorite, you know, or really? as my pick to win the series. Yeah. Just because the fact that they weren't even able to beat the Hawks team without Trey Young for like a half with Giannis. Now I'm really worried for what's going to happen without Giannis. And the thing about the Hawks is they shoot so well. They have seven, eight guys that can drill the outside three. And just get you tough buckets, yeah. They're, um, they're, they're a super impressive team. And they're well coached, too. Yeah, Nate McMillan has done a great job with this group. Yeah, he came in like – I mean, he was obviously with the team as an assistant, but midway through becomes the interim head coach, and now they're in the conference finals. Yeah, yeah I mean, they had, like, I think the best record from, like, the second he got hired to at the end of the season – they got really hot. Something that he did with this group, 
really set a like set a fire under them. And you're right, it's kind of like a, the same vibe as the Heat, like they're yeah. under underrated. Just they have a lot of team chemistry. They're just they're just kind of hitting. Everyone's hitting timely shots. You're right about the team chemistry and it definitely the timely shots. And it's just like the reason why I say I you know think they remind me of the Heat, where it's just like. You know, obviously there are moments in playoff games or just in basketball games in general where it's like end of first quarter, the stars kind of come out and get rests or just end of quarters in general. And then you're like watching and you see the lineups that are out there and you're like, oh, these are great lineups. It's like they don't really have any any downtime or lag time where you're like, oh, this guy can't get a bucket or like, oh, this guy's going to get exposed on D. It's just they're solid throughout. And that's you know, that's really impressive. They have a lot of similar players. The Hawks and the Heat? The Hawks. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. just within their own team there. They're very... Yeah. Like right. When they put out different lineups together, like a lot of the players that they replace each other with have similar skill sets. And they all like... The skill sets all complement each other very well. I agree. They complement each other very well. A guy I've been extremely impressed by, Okungwu. Oh, Onyeka Okungwu. He's going to oh be really God. good. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. He might be better than Capella already, although I just think that Capella... He's been there, you know, Has with the experience. Rockets. Yeah, yeah. And, and Capella's, no... Capella's out. Is that true? Yeah, I think Capella's out tonight. I didn't know that. Okay. So he'll so play a lot. Okung he's will... going to get big minutes. Yeah, all right. That'll be interesting to see how he steps up. I, I definitely – I think I, – I, I expect him to play well. Yeah, I, I think that the Hawks definitely have a chance this series just because of the way that they shoot the ball. I mean, with Trey Young, this roster is literally built with a playmaking point guard – seven shooters and then two room running centers yeah it's a, so it's a well perfect balanced. it's a perfect roster makeup yeah Very yeah well balanced. so who who do you who would you say are your are your picks for both uh oh i guess obviously Suns are in the finals already but uh who yeah. would you, who's your pick for the east i'm still gonna go with the bucks okay i think they're gonna get they're playing in pfizer tonight they don't mm-hmm. really – they're really good in Pfizer. I think Middleton and Holiday, especially Holiday, has, like, enough experience where they're going to pull this one out. And I think the Hawks could get it done one game without Trey Young. But – and it's kind of like we're moving the ball, we're shooting well, but eventually somebody's going to try to do a little bit too much. Like, somebody's going to have to try to step up to be the guy if they need a shot. And it was and Lou Will. Who's going to take it? Yeah. And it was Lou Will, and it worked the last game, but – you don't really expect him to kind of like the Reggie like, Jackson thing we were talking about. You can't really expect him to be, you know, at yeah. this point in his career going out there and just you know, balling, especially in the playoffs. He's never really been too good. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's why I can't put like, I can't faithfully say, I think the Hawks will win a series just because I, they don't have a guy. The thing is like, if, if you, if, if you have Trey young on the court, you live or die with him shooting the last shot and everybody knows it. Mm-hmm. It's a, full-blown conclusion that he's shooting it but on this team it's like kind of like yeah Lou Will may be the best isolation player but like hey John Collins is hot right now I think maybe John Collins will take the last shot or it's like Bogdanovich is like five for eight from three they're like all right Bogdanovich is taking the last shot and then the other two are mad so it's like there's no there's no true alpha who's getting the last shot and I think in crunch time it's gonna it's gonna make that team it's gonna make it really hard for them to, to win games you're right. Yeah, I you you should expect almost the Bucks. They've been together as a team for for a while now. They've had a few playoff runs, even though they've you know fallen a little bit short of expectations. But you're right. Like in crunch time, especially, and you know the fact that we're in the conference finals, they probably should have the edge. And even though they're missing Giannis, who would be taking their crunch time shots, they still have two guys who everybody knows is clearly better than the rest of the roster, and they're going to take the last shots. Like they still yeah. have that clear divide where the Hawks don't. I mean, no, they I could agree. go with just a hot hand. Like yeah. they, 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 they've been doing with Herter. But, like, again, like, any, it's the same thing, like, what Pippen's been saying about the Bulls. Like, he wanted the last shot instead of Kukoc. Like, it, when you lose the number one guy, everybody else thinks they should be taking the last shot. Yeah, that, that's an interesting perspective that, yeah, again, I don't, I don't really consider um, because a lot of the times I feel like people say that when like the star goes out, it almost like frees everyone else up, but you're right. Then like the roles are all kind of mixed up 
It does for like, I agree. It does for like the first 40, 40 minutes. And then the last eight minutes when it's like a five point game and you're going up against when they clearly have the two best players on the floor, it's going to be Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. It's, you got to find somebody who has to match that production somehow in some way, but it's who. Yeah. And if, and it's, if you take three or four minutes to find that guy, the game's lost at that point because you're giving them three or four minutes of a run. And you do see that with the Hawks. You're right, where they don't yeah. really know who, who's the guy right now, and they kind of just swing in and everyone has a look. And then, you know, everyone has missed one or two shots. No one's really in rhythm, and now it's like we're too yeah, late. Yeah, they don't have that one guy who they that can happened. say, like, just do it. And then Middleton, on the other hand, is going and putting 20 on the fourth in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they don't, a- their lack of wing defense without um, Hunter. DeAndre Hunter – I do think Reddish will help a lot. I think Reddish will help a lot. I agree. But they're going to need Reddish to step up even more than he did last game. Correct. And like Chris Dunn was getting minutes. Obviously, they need a little more ball handling with Trey Young out. Mm -hmm. Don't don't hate his game. I think he, you know, plays well, you know, plays smart, plays defense. Not going to give you much on offense, but yeah. the, The one thing I want to say about the Bucks is like, yeah, we talk about the fact that the Hawks have a bunch of guys you can kind of like, you know, give the ball to at times and just kind of get a shot. The Bucks and, you know, or like they have, the Hawks have a lot of guys who can, you know, really step up and put up, you know, more than their averages almost. The Bucks, I feel like it's like, you know what you're going to get from everybody. Middleton is going to give you, you know, 20, 30. I guess he can give you a little bit more. Uh, Holiday, you know what you're going to get. He's a good player. Lopez is a good player. He pretty much always shows up. But then like beyond that, it's like, can anybody – who can any role player like a Connington or Bryn I'm trying Forbes, to think of some, some or like Bryn that. Forbes, like can that guy, can one of those guys like really put up like 15 to 20 points and, you know, right. Like, you know, you know, um, I know Forbes is supposed to be a great three point shooter, but like, you know, kind of do like what Herder or Gallinari would do, which is just like go on like an eight Oh run and may hit like two threes and an and one on their own. And it's like, Oh, wow. I, I don't really see that as much from the bucks. No, I do. I do agree with that. You know what you're going to get. It's less of, uh, oh, this guy can, you know, go off and he might give me 30 tonight, and that's how we'll win the game. The Bucks yeah. have to play exactly according to plan and pretty much execute that game plan perfectly. I agree. Whereas the Hawks can kind of feel out the game a little bit, feel out who's hot, and, and let the game come to them. But Bucks still, you know, with their experience, you know, have pretty pretty good chance. So, so far, what do you think the biggest surprise of the NBA playoffs has been? I would say the Sixers losing to the Hawks or the Nets not making the finals. Um, just because after that game where Durant dropped like 50 points and they, and they won in overtime, or no, I don't even know if it was overtime, but whatever it was, you really expected him just to like, they went up 3-2 is what, what happened. You just expected the Nets to kind of win, you know, that game six or, or game seven if it had to be. But that was, that was pretty surprising and disappointing from uh, – yeah, from the Nets. Yeah, for me, it's probably the Sixers losing in round two and then the Hawks overall, their success so far in the playoffs. Just like the, f- that, yeah. just the way that the Sixers lost. You know what I mean? It's like one thing if like the Hawks come out and like, I don't know, beat them, but like you really felt like the Sixers had it. So once the Sixers went up 2 1, I was like, this one's over. Like they're winning in five. They're gonna be nice and rested. Like the the Bucks and the Nets series could go seven. We win in five. We get like four extra days of rest, four extra days to scout, and then they just couldn't get it done. And they're up like twenty in two games, I think it was in the second. Yeah, they were up like twenty six in one game, I think it was, and they they were just blowing leads, and I, I just couldn't believe it. That Dockers had no adjustments to make. His biggest adjustment, you know, because Simmons obviously played nowhere near up to his, you know, ability or expectations. And the only adjustment that Doc really could make was to hope that Maxi, who's a rookie, you know, could could give them a lift. And he did. He did definitely give him a lift, but it wasn't enough. Doc was fully relying on like a Shake Milton spark off the bench or a Tyrese Maxi spark off the bench. And every game that we didn't get a spark off the bench from one of the two, we lost. It's like, yeah, you can't you can't really expect Shake Milton to win you a playoff game. Or Tyrese Shake Maxey. Milton's winning you playoff games, and we have much bigger problems. Yeah, in exactly. In that playoff game. 
Right. Because that means the next two or three we're probably not going to win, which it, which ended up happening. Yeah, exactly. No, they totally got exposed. I think you're right. That that became clear early, probably that you know they that there was no extra punch. You know what I mean from the from the Sixers' offense. They lacked a uh, shot creator from the guard position. And mm-hmm. they felt they were somewhat getting that in George Hill, maybe not fully a shot creator, but at least like a shot maker. And he really underperformed in the playoffs. And I, yeah, he was disappointing. I, you expect yeah. him to be good. Yeah, he's supposed to be a solid NBA player. Yeah, he's. I'm not saying he's the best guard, but he's supposed to be like a guy that you bring off the bench that you could give a reliable 15 minutes to, 20 minutes to if needed. You know, hit some open threes. He'll score at least, but he just he didn't provide anything. The bench is pretty much unplayable. Anything, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he's not you're not putting him in for defense. He's not a great defender, but he just didn't provide anything off the bench. And then yeah, you're right. The Sixers bench didn't show up, and then obviously Simmons didn't show up, and then beat again. Got you know the fatigue off them. I thought. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I think the biggest question for the Sixers is if you have to sit down and you say, if we're in the playoffs and we're, we're the, it doesn't matter what seed we are, if each series goes seven games, can Joel Embiid, can we confidently say he can play 28 games at his highest level? 28 it's straight games. Not at the he intensity doesn't get a, of the he playoffs. He doesn't get games off. And I, I don't think that's possible. I agree. I mean, he can barely last in the regular season, and that's the intensity completely cranks up in the postseason. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. 28 playoff ref basketball games, playoff like intensity. I don't. I don't want to say he can't do it because they're also probably not going to play 28 games if they end up winning a championship. But you have to prepare for 28 games in the playoffs at high level intensity. So does that mean you don't think that you can win a championship with Embiid as your best player? I think that's still yet to be seen. I, I, I don't. I don't know. It's just like disappointing because I feel like whenever we watch him beat, it's like everyone in the playoffs. Everyone's like, "Oh, you know." They kind of make a lot of excuses, like the NBA, the way it's going. It's just hard to play the centers now, you know, because they have to guard in the perimeter so much. But then again, like the Suns made the finals with DeAndre Ayton being one of their best players. The Heat did yeah. it with Bam out of BIOS and Jokic, you know, so. I have to. I feel like the Sixers and Embiid have to take some responsibility and kind of do some soul no, searching. I, I agree. I think that a lot of like the the well, first of all, the if you're getting no bench production, it's going to be hard to win at all in the, mm-hmm. in the NBA, especially in the playoffs. So that has to be changed. But you ha- you also have to be prepared for Embiid not to score forty plus every single playoff game, like the, the man like. He, he honestly, we have to come to the conclusion that he may miss playoff games. Like him playing in game one of a series, not, I mean, not playing in game one of a series might not be the end of the world for the Sixers. Yeah. Forward. You almost mean like resting him. So he's more. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if you go like, it's like a weird thing, but like, if you can't confidently think that he's going to be able to be for you there game five, six and seven, and if his full strength, then like, you can't get eliminated in game one, just rest them. Yeah, no, that's that's an interesting point. I wonder if that'll start to happen. I mean, it's not just Embiid. I mean, with the stamina, pretty much you see injuries. Harden went down in like the first 30 seconds yeah. of the Buck series. And it's it's like, it's, it's not really who's the best team anymore. It's like, who's the healthiest? It, it, that's really what it's down to now. And on what and what you were saying, another big storyline is the Nets not making it to the finals after all the moves they made this this season. Yeah, I mean, once Harden, like I said, once Harden went down, and Joe Harris became completely unreliable, it was either Durant takeover or nobody else. I mean, they're just hiding Harden in the corner. Kyrie's gone. I mean, Blake Griffin is still Blake Griffin. He's not. You're not gonna rely on him for anything more than like a couple dunks maybe or a mid-range jumper but they, they just looked lost I, I don't know what like what they were thinking in terms of the roster I think more in the coaching just like yeah I mean 
I like the, the the second you I saw what Ty Lue was doing with the Clippers without Kawhi. I'm like, how do you not? I'm like, how, how do you? How, first of all, how does anyone in, in the league let Ty Lue be an assistant for a year? But then the Nets, it seems like that's what, exactly what they're going for, and then they end up making the inexperienced Steve Nash hire. Like, why would you not just go with the guy that's won a championship with, with you know, stars before, except for the fact that maybe Kyrie didn't want to be coached by him again. And also, not even Nash. I mean, look at McMillan. I mean, not even well, Ty Lue. Look at McMillan, too. Mm-hmm. He was fully available and was an assistant for the Hawks. Thibodeau. For a while. They let the Knicks the take him. Before, yeah, like, I, I, I think – that they, he would have been better with the Nets with, than Nash was. I agree. I, I was not impressed by Steve Nash at all. I just don't think he had any control over what that team did. Like, who played, who didn't play. Like, he didn't seem like he was even, like, in on the loop. <laughs> you think? I'm, I'm sure he was. Right, right. But, but I, I know what you at mean. At the same like... time, it's like, you, you, you've played in the NBA and you've played on a championship team before. Like you should know what it takes. Well, he's never played on a championship. Oh yeah, team, he's played. He's played on teams that have come close. Like you have to realize what it takes. Like the camaraderie you have to have. Like you can't just not play with each other all season. And they are an injury real group. That is another problem with them. Mm-hmm. But you do have to cut them some slack. But I agree. I mean, but then again, like you say that he's like has all the experience, but. He's he's also been someone who you know fell short a lot in the in the playoffs, and then their the their lead assistant is Dan Tony, who's also never won a championship before, yeah. and it's like, but it's also like, why would you get like shouldn't you get guys that um, that balance each other out and complement each other instead of someone who's like Nash never played any defense and Dan Tony has never coached any defense? It's like they they all tried to go all in on the offense i think they were so focused on like oh my god we have Kyrie KD and Harden like we literally can't be stopped but, which they're but, not wrong like the three of them literally can't be stopped but the three of them have to play for them to not be stopped right exactly and that's the problem is now we know in the playoffs that these guys are not going to be able to play every single game so you have to game plan differently you got to get like somewhat of the depth that the Suns and the Hawks have and you have to play defense. You can't just rely on offense. And it really, it really sucks for the Suns because I feel like a lot their success this postseason is somewhat being overshadowed by like the injuries and teams that were eliminated before them. How like big the players' names were. I think they're just their success is really going to be overshadowed this season. I agree, but I still think. They deserve a lot of credit for making the finals. Chris Paul, Monte no, Williams. Agree. Monte Williams is another guy agree. that, like, these big market teams who are trying to, like, turn around could have mm-hmm. gotten him, and the Suns got him, and look what he did for them. But you're right. People will sell them short because, you know, the Lakers series, people did, said that, you know, without AD, you know. Yeah, they're saying if, a, if AD doesn't go down, then this is just the Lakers. This is where they're at. Like, well, I mean, he did Paul, go down. and Paul George said that. Here. Paul George said if Kawhi didn't go down, the Clippers would have won, which I think is the most ridiculous thing ever. Like, that's not what's life, that's not what life is about. What yeah. is like? You can be, I mean, this postseason, you could really say that with almost every single team that has been eliminated or is playing right now, too. Like, I mean, Giannis is even out right now with the hyperextended knee. The Hawks are missing Trey Young. Uh, Suns just got healthy. And then the Clippers are missing. So it's not like everybody doesn't have an excuse. Like You're they right. all have the same one. And it could happen to anybody. So it's not an excuse at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of the game. You got to prepare for it. Like, like you prepare for the, the opposing team. You got to prepare for the injuries. Mm-hmm. So Noah, the first coaching change I wanted to discuss with you was Rick Carlisle and the Dallas Mavericks. I mean, okay. I, I wasn't surprised that, uh, Carlisle left. I think that it was pretty well known that him and Luca didn't have like the best relationship. Obviously, you know, it, it was fine. They were pretty successful, made the playoffs and whatnot, but to take the next step, he probably was not the right guy for the job. What are your thoughts on that? I do like Jason Kidd, but I think I also like who else would they have hired in this situation? I don't know, but to me, it, it's, it reminds me of kind of the Nets with 
uh, with Steve Nash, where it's like you go for the splashy hire, and then it's like, wait, why don't we just go for the guy who's experienced and has proven himself like a Nate McMillan, like a Monte Williams, you know, whoever it may be. But it's definitely the splashy hire. No, I agree. It is a splashy hire because the how Kid played for Dallas, Carlisle basically chooses his, his successor. But that's another thing. But uh, I kind of like it because – Kid was in Milwaukee. He was way too young for that. Then he was in Bro- he was in Brooklyn, then Milwaukee, right? Mm-hmm. And then so he was way too young for both jobs. But then he he went to LA and he he was under uh, Frank Vogel for a while. They have they have a lot of good assistants under there, and he he learned a championship culture and what it takes to win a championship. And I re- I really think as a coach, not as a player, but. Uh, I really think that helped him progress. And I, I, I kind of like this hire for Dallas. And especially if Carlisle's saying that Kidd and Doncic are so similar in like the way they think of the way bat, like the, they play basketball, I think that it, they could have like a very good relationship. I agree. They'll, they'll probably have a good relationship, uh, Kidd and Doncic. And Jason Kidd has had a very interesting journey that probably gives him, you know, even if he's, didn't have the most success as a head coach. It probably, you know, gives him some credibility, uh, you know, just a little more respect. Um, but if they're so similar as players, like, again, like, unless you, I mean, Luka Doncic is probably, is arguably already better as a player than Jason Kidd ever was. I so, <laughs> so like, I mean, I, it's, it's silly to just be like, oh, what is he going to coach him on? Because the player's already better. You, you know, obviously there's still things that Luca needs to learn that Jason Kidd can teach him. But I'm just saying, like, it, it can't just be like, oh, we're all in on, like, every person who's going to have a great relationship with Luca and every person who thinks like Luca. You know, there's other, other things that contribute to winning a championship, and I think they need to, you know, be conscious of that. For me right now, after that Luca rumor, if I'm Mark Cuban, my biggest priority is keeping Luca happy. Whatever I can do to make Luca happy, I'm doing because I don't want to lose him and I want him to sign that five-year Supermax. Supermax, yeah. That's all that needs to happen. Once, once you sign the five-year Supermax, then you can start going a little bit more crazy. But the but thing you need him, but you need him to be happy. And I think that, I think that Luca definitely had a say in this hire. For Jason Kidd. Yeah, I mean, whether he had like an actual say, yeah, he probably did have an actual say, you're right. Um, but regardless, they have every decision they make has Luca in mind. He's probably the number one priority because winning is the number one priority and he's, you know, their, their best path to winning. Um, but I'm trying to remember some of the things you just said because I wanted to respond to them. Um, oh, just like about keeping him happy in the Supermax. I feel like these teams, when they're like, oh, we want to keep our star happy, obviously, because you want him on the team for many, many years um, to come. But the thing that keeps them happy, we see time and time again, the only thing that keeps them happy is winning. Like the Rockets did everything they could have for James Harden. And still at the end of the day, once they weren't winning, he wanted out, you know? So like, it's great that you're making all these hires of people that have good relationships with Luca and whatnot. But until, you know, if that doesn't translate to winning, he's still going to want out most likely. And also the Supermax, like, just sorry, really quick. The Supermax, yes, obviously it gives a team a little bit more time, but we've seen like many instances where players with two years left in their contract, three years, you know, it happened with James Harden, you know, they're still able to have enough leverage where if they want to leave, you know, they, they can, they can ha- make that happen. You know, I do agree with what you're saying because eventually if he doesn't win, he's still going to want out no matter what happens. But for right now, I think that he he knows he's so young and it's hard to win titles in the NBA when you're very, very young. I think, I think he knows that. And I think that if you let him see, if he hires, if he wanted a kid and they let him hire and they hire him and it doesn't work, then he'll be like, all right, you guys, I see like what you mean. You guys get the next coach and you choose him because you can cut the cord pretty quickly if it's not working. So I think that both, I think that all parties were in favor of this. It was a good group decision. I think that kid could have a lot of success there too. I think that if, if what Carlisle saying 
is true and they were, they're going to be a great fit, then they should have a lot of success and they should be able to get star players around Luca. I think that they're, they're going to be a team that's going to be making a lot of moves this offseason. Yeah, look, I mean, they already were, they're already on a good path. You know, they've, they've had, Luca's had success in his career. And I think there is a lot of room for improvement with the roster. So, you know, I, I thought when they went up 2-0, you know, they, they should have beaten the Clippers. I honestly thought they should have beaten the Clippers the year earlier in the bubble when that, when that uh, series went seven games, I think it was, and Luca played out of his mind. Um, and I, also, they, they, I hated their roster besides Hardaway and Luca and a handful of other players. We I talked about like this on roster. the first podcast. I don't think either yeah. of us did. Um, they, I feel like they have the depth in terms of their guys in the bottom part of their rotation are actually mm-hmm. more solid than, than, but it's like those, you're right. It's, 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 it's the, it's the second, third options. Kate Porzingis is not good enough to be a second option. Yeah. Hardaway probably isn't really good. I mean, yes, he's a good role. He's like a Jay Crowder where he's like, he can give you, he's you know, not, if he's your third best player, like you're going to have a pretty hard time winning a championship. So they definitely need to improve those instances. You know, like we've talked about, like push, push down Hardaway a peg, push down Porzingis a peg. So they're not relied on as much frees up them as players. And I think then you could see them have a lot of success, but I think the point I'm trying to make is that they need a guy, a second guy with Luca. I wanted to get your thoughts on Carlisle going to Indiana too, bouncing off of uh, Dallas. The Indiana situation in general was weird. Because I, I agree. I thought that it was I thought that Brooklyn was just gonna fire Nash and walk in with Carlisle. I really thought that that's what was gonna happen. Well, it was just like no one really knew who that guy that they hired was. I mean, at least I didn't. I'm like a you know, pretty I, I definitely follow the NBA very closely, but I didn't really obviously ever heard of that guy, Nate, whatever his name was. And then you heard like weird things throughout the season that, you know, they maybe weren't it was like whether it was with Oladipo wanting out or just, you know, other things like that, that maybe there were things going on, but they still had a decent season and they have a decent roster. Um, you know, they made it to the play-in games. Um, but again, once you start hearing things about just like, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't know how to like connect to players. I mean, that's literally the, the, the role of, of a coach is to connect yeah. to the players. So if you can't do that, you're absolutely not going to be the head coach. Um, and it's just another like interesting thing that Carlisle has already coached the Patriots before. And obviously if you want somebody to kind of come in and bring like a level of professionalism and whatnot, like he's, he's the man for the job, but I don't know how good he is at connecting to players. Like he didn't, he couldn't do it with Luca. So we'll see about that. I just thought it was such a weird, like he, he chose there so fast. He didn't even wait for any other coaching opportunities to emerge after this playoffs. He didn't wait for anything. I thought he, I thought he should have held out. I feel like if he was on the market for a long enough time, teams would make vacancies for him. But that makes me think that he is not actually as valuable as we might think, because I do think if he thought that he could, you know, have a lot of offers and field a lot of offers, he maybe would have done that. Maybe I'm wrong. He just, he liked Indiana. He thought it was a good fit. I think they gave him a pretty nice offer too. And so he just hopped on it, but generally, generally people err on the side of, Oh, let me field offers and let me see what's out there. Even, you know, you know, unless it's, unless it's for a reason. And I think that, you know, there could be a reason behind it. Um, I personally was a fan of this Chauncey Billups to Portland. I still think that Portland's going to try to run it back for another one, possibly even two more years. I don't think they're going to move on from Dame and Dame doesn't want out. Uh, he's not going to get traded. Yeah, I mean, I guess as long as Dame doesn't want out and they're fine with being, you know, like a four, five, six seed, then he then this makes sense as a hire. I'm sure I'm sure Damian Lillard likes this hire a lot, but Portland, I just don't. Th- I just think that that they reached their their peak when they made the conference finals a couple of years ago with this roster. And yeah, they've they've retooled it a little bit, but I still don't really see with Lillard, McCollum just as your best two best players I don't really see like you you getting much better I think that if I'm them you at least have to move McCollum if you're bringing in a new coach you might as well just move McCollum and try to get a a different guy in there to see if it works maybe a different position like a a small forward not, not another guard or like a big man it's not like something better 
No, I, I would absolutely they could package some things together. I think for another star, depend again, again, like it depends on who wants out. Could they be a? I think they'd be a great suitor for Bradley Beal personally, if they wanted to keep like the power at the guard position. Right. Lillard and Beal would be one of the best uh, scoring guard duos in the in the league right away. Yeah, Beal's kind of just like a better version of CJ. Yeah, that's why I think I I think that if I'm Portland especially with bringing in Billups that all offers on the table for everybody not named Damian Lillard. Unless if Damian wants out, then you're take going in a totally new direction then. But, but I yeah, don't think he's going to leave. I don't think – I think that you the, the coach it kind of reflects the direction of the organization, and I don't think that if you're going for a complete rebuild that it would be with Chauncey Billups. Yeah, I agree. Right? I, I think that, that he's sh- That shows that you're still, you're still pushing. Yeah. Otherwise, you hire like – a team's top assistant or something. Yeah, like or like uh, I'm thinking of like a, a, a like a developmental coach like Kenny Atkinson yeah. with the Nets. You know what I mean? Where it's like you know yeah, you're you gonna be you know you're you gonna be bad the for the next splash. couple of years. Yeah, exactly. You don't make the splashes, right? They were they were even D'Antoni would have been a, a big splash, which is I know is mm-hmm. another another guy. Um, Last question then, about the coaches. Yeah, yeah, I was going to the one thing I want to bring up is um you know you talk or you 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 wrote down you know did Becky Hammond get snubbed. Um, and I just, I was curious, you know, what your thoughts on that were. For me, if I'm Becky Hammond, I would want to wait for the absolute, like, perfect, perfect situation. Because you think she's going to be criticized that much more? Well, it's not even that. It's if she, so say she goes to Portland, right? Yeah. And they're terrible. Then that affects the next female coach, I think. No, that well, that's what I meant. I I just meant that there's going to be so much. Yeah. Yeah, on I the line. That, you're I right. I think then there'll be hesitancy for the next one, which isn't so really I, fair. But that's that is what that which, will. Yeah, I agree. It. It's not. Yeah. It's not fair because again, it's totally two different people, two different mindsets of basketball. So like, it, you you can't even you can't even do that. But knowing how the owners are in the NBA and how they work, it's going to be one of those things of like, hey. We, this female coach didn't work. Maybe we should think twice about hiring a female coach. Yeah, I mean, exactly. That's how people think right or wrong. But like Popovich said, it's like she's not just one of the best, like she doesn't just not just one of the best female basketball minds. You know, she's one of the best basketball minds. So, I mean, in, in an ideal world, in a perfect world, people would just hire people based on merit and like it wouldn't matter that she's a woman. Um, yeah, I agree. But obviously, yeah, no. Um, but it, it is it very. Sucks it, it's, it's, it's very exciting. It, it sucks that we have to say that, but at the same time, it's very exciting that she seems to be getting closer and closer every year. Um, and yeah, yeah like, I, I feel like two years ago, her name was just kind of thrown in there as floated just, around. Yeah, it, like you want to look good. Any merit to it? Right. Last season, she got a couple interviews, and then this year, Serious she was ones. like really in like the, like the top three. I think next season there's going to be some coaching vacancies where she's going to be highly considered. But again, but, I don't want her to take a job where it's going to be like, like the chance of her actually succeeding are so low, like, like her going to like Sacramento or something. Like mm-hmm. I would just be like, like that sucks. Like it's, she's like, it's going to be so hard to succeed there. You want her to walk into a situation like doc or like Ty Lu, where it's like, yes, it's like our coach yes. has not been able to get us over the hump. Like come get us over the hump. And it's like, yup. Like let's ride. That's, <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I think she should do. She should wait for a team, a, a team like the nets that comes together in a single off that. season. <laughs> yeah. Cause they're not, they're not they going to get over then the they hump. Hire a coach. Yeah. 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 I think not the Nets this year, but like it's going to be it's something like that. I think that's the perfect spot for her. Yeah, or like yeah, I was going to say the Knicks, but they're they're in a diff- completely different situation. But just because that would be electric or New York. Kind of going off into the off season here. Which which team do you think is the most suited to make a big off season addition this summer? I mean, I don't really know about like most suited, but I think that the, the most teams, likely, yeah, most likely are, mo- are most needed. I think that a lot of the teams that we brought up, which is like, you know, the Sixers, because they obviously have a lot of talent and, and, you know, they were just a one seed. So, you know, let's try and see if we can't win a championship with somewhere, well, well, somewhat of what we got. 
Um, the Nets, you know, same thing. It's like, obviously they have a great foundation and all their stars and the Mavericks, you know, teams like, you know, that have found good foundations and stars, but just need a little bit of retooling to get over the hump. Yeah. I think another team that could make, get over the hump is the Hawks too. I think they have a lot of flexibility. I don't think John Collins will end up being the starting power forward on the Hawks game one next season. Because they have a lot of people to pay, including him, right? Yeah, and I think that he has somewhat of a lower ceiling. Like I, I don't want to say that yet, but I don't think I don't know how much better John Collins will be than he is right now. He reminds me a lot of like Aaron Gordon, and you have to really question like, is Aaron Gordon the power forward of a championship team? And I say no, so I'm not paying him. It's because their best attribute is their athleticism, and that's the thing that declines mm-hmm. the quickest. Like with it, it might not even be an age thing; it could, you know, be an injury yeah. thing or whatever it is. Could be a combination of a lot of things. But you're right. I mean, I, I will say I'm. I did not know he was this good at basketball, John Collins. Like, no, I agree. I, think I had he's no very idea. Good. He's so I think good. He's very good. Like, yeah. like the same way that Aaron Gordon's good. But again, I think he's already better than Aaron Gordon. But yeah. But, but it's I, the I, same type it, of vibe just, ceiling. Yes, I agree. Like in this, in the terms of ceiling, um, like and the I way know he the, wants to be paid is yeah. him going into a finals game scoring like 23, 24, like consistently. And I don't see him doing that consistently. I think he could be a good fit for the Mavericks. There were talks in, in the middle of the season about a possible swap. Right, I remember that they, which is why I was like so surprised with how good Collins has been in the playoffs. I'm like, why would they ever have wanted to trade this guy? I feel like Porzingis actually fits better in Atlanta just because of the threes. Yeah, he can just he can just sit there and just drill threes. Yeah, I I, I think that a, a a pick and roll with Trey Young and a and a center who could yeah step out and shoot threes is is, is lethal. No, John Collins can shoot, but Porzingis is definitely a better shooter. And you can also play Porzingis at the five. I don't know if you can play mm-hmm. Collins at the five. Yeah, Unless you're, you're going ultra undersized. small. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think an obvious team that's going to make a move this offseason is the Sixers. Right. You think they're going to get rid of Simmons? If I'm them, I don't get rid of Simmons. I'd rather get rid of Harris. Okay. So you so you would run it back with uh, Simmons and Embiid and and retool the rest of the roster, and I would make the roster. I would make it. Sm- I'd play smaller, in terms of size or in terms of rotation. In, in terms of, in term, well, I think yeah, Doc did stretch the rotation too much in the playoffs, which is a big reason why they couldn't find like the right nine guys a lot of the time, and nobody really got hot off the bench. But um, I think that even having. Danny Green and like Tobias Harris may be too big. Now, you can still play Ben Simmons at point guard and have two other like six foot one, six foot two guys out there. And then like another like six five guy. I mean, we saw how good Maxi was for them when when he got going. Yeah, yeah like they that's could why just... I, I think that they should just like I like that I like Tobias Harris, but I think you trade him picks and him and picks for Kyle Lowry. Basically, the question is: you have to find a way to to get offense with, if assuming that Embiid and Simmons are going to have off nights, you have to find a way to get offense. So unless Tobias Harris, like, yeah, is you consistent need enough, sh- I, yeah, or you just need depth, like, yeah, which is what you're talking. I about. think I think we need. I think the Sixers need more smaller. I think they just try to play too big. Yeah, I'm. I'm just trying to think of like specific guys that would help them. But it's like they're, what, lo- what? they're losing a lot. But I just don't even understand. Like I it's don't, also I don't... way too early to say. Like nobody's requested any trades yet. No, so yeah. it's still too early to say who they're going to get. But but I'm just mapping out in my head. Like what would be a better version of Embiid and Simmons on the floor at the same time? Like do you would you move them around the court differently or like it's with it's other guys or smaller guys? Like what? It's not even. I think that you can just like. Simmons can – I mean, he could play in the, like sit in the corner almost for like more possessions, but it's easier to hide him with smaller, quicker guards that can really create shots off the dribble. It's much easier to hide him. But then you're still playing like four on five unless he's – The only thing that scares me is 
is the potential. Ben still has the potential to be a stud. And think, I think that yeah. I think the second that you move him, I think that it's like it's just gonna light a fire and it's gonna he's gonna be a stud. And that's why I'm so I'm more worried about that than like Tobias, like you can always get a couple guys like Tobias to come out and be on this. Like there's always gonna be other players like that. Yeah. So I think that Ben, however, has the chance to be a piece that like you can't find another one of, especially because of the defensive ability too. Right. He definitely has the the chance to he he definitely is a generational talent. That's yeah. not that's not arguable. And if it's you just, look and if you look at like the like the increase in like how that much better Seth Curry was this year, like guards guards shoot better with Ben Simmons. Like mm. they do. They shoot better with him. As they the should. Sixers shoot forty percent from three with him on the court, and then like closer to twenty five with him off of it. Okay. So like it's a big, it's a big difference. Like I think that if they got smaller, quicker guards that can create the shot off the dribble, where like if you like Kyle Lowry would be your sec, technically your second best option on offense, but he would also be playing more of an off guard. And and now I see what you mean because it's like Simmons will do something at the top of the key and swing the Pretty, ball. Sing, swing the ball to one of those bigger wings, and it's like unless they have an open shot that they can they shoot can't it, create. But the, it the possession, Ben, yeah. the possession is completely dead, right? But if you give it to another point guard, they can do the same thing. And Ben has a high enough IQ where he knows like he's not going to be like shooting a three. He can crash. He can cut. Like he knows what he's doing. Like and also by the time Ben tries to like if he drives and kicks it out there's only be like 10 seconds left on the shot clock anyway mm-hmm. so if you're giving it back to Ben it's going to be with like 4 to 3 seconds on the clock so it's already a bad shot as it is mm-hmm. no we we we've seen that a lot play out that scenario i'm, I'm having it play out in my head right now that's why i think that they need to get even smaller they just yeah. need to play smaller yeah just like shot creators agreed and having Ben gives you the versatility to play extremely small from the guard position while still having an elite wing defender. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not even moving to Bryce. I think that maybe even Danny Green was a little bit too big. Yeah, no, there's there there's a there's room for a Tobias Harris on this roster. But yes, in some capacity, they do need to they need to retool. Yeah, I don't know if Danny Green. I I don't really like that much. And then the last team I think is a big move for the offseason is the Lakers. I, they, they need a big move. They're, they know the clock is ticking. And they know that every year they get with LeBron that not injured is a blessing. Mm-hmm. So they need, they need to figure something out quick. But I think they actually have a lot to move. Yeah. So I, they, that they can move. Right? I mean, it's, it's a problem is who's going to want their guys. Like, yeah, who wants – Kyle Kuzma. Like, and, who really like wants Harrell. Kyle Kuzma? Yeah, the Shanghai I want, Sharks. <laughs> I heard Gasol is just going to get bought out by a team in Spain, so that's just $5 million extra in cap that they'll have, so that's a blessing. Okay. They lose Luol Deng's contract, finally. Oh, finally, yeah. That was from, like, so, so that's Amnesty another All-Season. blessing. Yeah. And then they can move KCP. He makes, like, 13. Somebody actually might want KCP. So you're just saying they have a chance to free up a lot of cap space and go after somebody? I think that they they think they have a legitimate chance at Damian Lillard. But is he even a free agent? No, they think they can trade for him. Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, I think it's more likely that they shed cap space because I think that's what they kind of go for in general, which is to be able to be flexible like each offseason. Because mm-hmm. you never – or even during the season, you never know who's going to – like you said, whether it's Damian Lillard or who's going to present themselves you know, on the market. So they like to be flexible. But, I mean, yeah. So there, I, there is a lot of room for them to, to add somebody. It could be a Lillard. Yeah, it could be Bradley Beal. I think that they're going to be a sneaky team this offseason. Like, yeah. I think a team like the Nets, are they're kind of hamstrung with what they can do. Like, they have their three stars. They have, like, a couple guys on the bench locked up for a little while. I think, like, what they really do is it's going to be, like, only a couple pieces moved. And I think they're going to chalk this year up to injury, too. They'll be like, we were injured all year. It was the first year together. The Heat, when they had LeBron, D-Wade, Chris Bosh, they didn't win the first year either. We're going to come back next year, and we're going to win. I think that's mm-hmm. what they're going to do, and I don't blame them because, again, you 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 can't just discard the injuries. So, 
No, you can't discard how, how much of a role they played, but I also think, like I said, you need to be prepared for it. So, you know, I think that any team that's not trying to get somewhat of the depth that the Hawks, the Suns, that last year's Heat team has, I think you're doing your, your team a disservice. And obviously, obviously you're not going to hit on every single role player, but, I mean, it's clear that teams like the Lakers, like the Nets, um, Clippers, you know, they, Mavericks, they, they do need – like some of those guys have to go that we've mentioned. Yeah. Kuz, Kuzma, um, Montrez Harrell can't play anymore. Like, you know, Joe Harris, I don't know if – I mean, maybe you stick with him because he is like a three-point champion. But anyway, those are just examples. You know, some of these guys on these teams have to go, and you got to get in – bring in new guys and see what they can do. Yeah, but I seriously think the Lakers are going to be a team that's going to be in the talks for every single superstar that's supposed to get traded this summer. As long as you got LeBron and AD and you're playing in LA, people are always going to want to play for you. And so you're always going to try and get yourself in those talks. Final two questions of the pod. Who are your MVP of this, this year's playoffs and what's your final prediction? My MVP for these playoffs probably be Devin Booker just because this is the first time he's been in the playoffs. And mm-hmm. I think he's pretty much – I think he's, he's, he's done everything that's asked for him and, and then some, which is really what the playoff – which was really what, you know, proving yourself in the playoffs is all about. Um, so that's, that's my pick for MVP. Who's, who's yours? Before Giannis's injury – I would have went Giannis and I still probably will go Giannis because I think that he eliminated the best team in the NBA, in my opinion, at least the most talented team in the NBA in, in yeah. the Nets. So I think, I think he's the MVP of the playoffs, but with this Giannis injury, Booker, Booker now, but those two, I think that Trey Young is a close, I mean, it also it totally depends on what happens with this Buck series. Cause if the Hawks win, then, and Trey Young comes back these last, like the last couple of games and goes crazy, then Trey Young's probably the MVP of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Pulling a six seed to beat the Sixers pretty much in Philly four out of three games, and then in Milwaukee for two of the best home court advantages in the NBA. And then it's not like the Knicks were any walkover too. Like he went into Madison Square Garden with the most loud stadium since the since Mello was playing there and totally shut it down. Mm-hmm. So he went into th- three straight environments of craziness and took over all three. Yeah, it is, you're right. It's hard to say like, yeah, you definitely have an argument um, for, for him being MVP. And I think if he is able to beat the bucks, you probably have to say he's the MVP at least of the East. Cause he'd be, yeah. you know, he'd be the best player on the team that's representing the East in the finals. Mm-hmm. And he, and he, he would have willed them to the final. <laughs> yeah, completely. Like, he, like uh, Booker has Chris Paul, Paul George is another guy I put on the list who possibly could have been it has, I guess he has, but he had, again, he had Kawhi Leonard for the first two rounds pretty much. Mm-hmm. Then Giannis has Middleton and holiday. Trey young has his second best players, Gallinari some nights and Bogdanovich and John Collins. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so he's completely carrying that team. That's I, I think it's right now. It's Giannis assuming they close out the series for me just because uh-huh. of the nets, but Trey young could do it. I think. And then your pick four to win it all would be? I'm going to have to go Suns and six. Over the Bucks. Yeah, over the Bucks. I, I, al- I think guard play is going to be a major – like, I think guard play in the finals and the playoffs is really, really important. Chris Paul and, finally gets his ring. Yeah, I think Chris Paul and Devin Booker are much, much better than the Bucks guards. Yeah, I will also say Suns, but I'm going to say that the Hawks will represent the East. In the Hawks? Yeah, and I'm going to say Suns in seven against the Hawks. I think that'll be a great series. That would be a great series. Yeah, I would Chris love Paul to see that. Devin Booker. I feel robbed that we didn't see Hawks-Nets, but that's just me personally. This has still been a good series against the Bucks, but I just think it would have been great to see Durant go up against like the, the offensive juggernaut of the Hawks. Yeah, that would have been a, that would have been a very very high scoring series. That that would have been played in like the one thirties. Mm-hmm. That would have been a great series. And just like a lot of fun coaches, yeah, fun teams, new teams. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Matt Kempter Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Spotify, TikTok, and Twitter. More episodes will be posted soon.